0: Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of From God to Us. We have been looking at the subject of worship in a series I have called Come, Let Us Worship. We've looked at various aspects of worship as definitions, some of the words, some of the themes of worship. And last week, we looked at the idea that we must worship God in spirit and in truth found in John chapter 4. Today, we look at the subject of worship pursued by God. Back in Mississippi, when I was growing up, uh, my grandfather taught me to hunt. We mostly hunted for squirrels. As I grew a little older, I began to learn to deer hunt. And one of the methods for which people in the South hunt deer is the use of dogs. And the idea is that since deer are nocturnal creatures and are out most at night, they during the day they go and hide deep in the woods in the thickets. And since we can't hunt them at night, people who own deer dogs will take them out and set them running through the underbrush to try to track down a deer and then push the deer out into an open field or an open area where hunters are standing a certain distance apart waiting for the deer to come out and, and then they will shoot the deer as it runs out into the clearing This is a method of hunting deer that I didn't particularly care for, although I went a few times to experience it. But one of the things that would happen is when the dog was pushing the deer out of the woods, if it was a doe, we weren't allowed to shoot them. The hunters would let the doe pass and then try to catch the dogs and put them on a scent of another deer. Or if it was a buck, then we would attempt to shoot him. If somehow the deer got by and the dogs kept running... they weren't caught then the dogs would continue to pursue this deer Uh, they would run and they would run and they would pursue this deer with all their all their might that's what they were trained to do and until they were stopped or until the deer was shot these dogs would pursue with all of their being chasing this deer until either the deer was caught or they just totally ran out of gas this is what they were trained for to pursue the deer well today i want to let you know friends that God is on a pursuit. God is on a hunt, if you will. He is pursuing people. He is pursuing those who would come and worship Him. In our text from last time, we looked at John chapter 4 where Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. Many of you are familiar with this passage. And we read these words from John chapter 4. Jesus declared, speaking to the, the Samaritan woman, "'Believe me, woman, a time is coming, when we will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And we looked at this whole concept last time of what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. But there's a phrase in here, part of verse 23, that is very significant. For it says, for they, that is those who worship God in spirit and in truth, are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now that's present tense in the original means he is continually seeking people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, God is on a pursuit for mankind. Throughout the Bible, the Bible tells the story uh, who God is and helps us understand what He is like and His characteristics, but it also tells the story or the account of God's pursuit of His created beings, mankind. After He created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden and told them They could do pretty much anything they want, tend his garden, multiply, but don't eat of the one tree. Of course, many of you know the story. Eve was tempted, she ate, gave it to Adam, he ate, and suddenly mankind became a sinful creature. But after they sinned, I want to show you, look at the text in Genesis chapter 3, where God responds to what happens to the man and the woman. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman, you put her with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The next few verses record God's discipline or his judgment on on the people and upon Satan, upon the serpent, because they disobeyed God. But the interesting thing is that God knew what happened. When he asked Adam, where are you, it wasn't that God was unaware. He wanted Adam to respond. He was pursuing Adam and pursuing Eve, even though they had rebelled against him. Though he brings discipline upon them, God still makes a way for Adam and Eve to have fellowship with him. Verse 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, And he clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Notice here, if you remember the story, Adam and Eve, when they they sinned, they went and got fig leaves to cover themselves. So when they suddenly realized they were naked and that this was a problem for them, they found fig leaves. But God said, that's not appropriate. And he, he makes garments of animals, which means God had to take the life of the animal, make the skins, And give it to Adam and Eve. He provided a sacrifice so that they would still be able to come to him. And we'll talk more about that sacrifice. So God is pursuing those creatures, even the ones who have rebelled against him. As we go through the scriptures and through the early parts of the Genesis, we find that mankind continues to be sinful. There's the story of Cain and Abel, the first murder. Mankind becomes sinful. The story of Noah, where all mankind is evil and God takes away these evil people but starts over with a with a man who is righteous and him and his family allows him to begin again. Of course, mankind continues down this path of sinfulness, constantly rebelling and rejecting God. God decides that he's going to create a nation that will represent him. Since God has allowed mankind to pretty much live the way they wanted, invited them to come and to know him and to worship him, yet mankind turned away. So God decides to create a nation out of a man called Abram, later known as Abraham. And then from this man, he will bring a blessing to all people. In Genesis chapter 12, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, eventually, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God began to build a group of people, a nation, that one day would represent him in the world and to be the ones who would show people what God is really like. Now there's much that happens in the book of Genesis. The people begin to multiply in the land of Egypt. They're placed into slavery. And then God responds to pursue his people, to bring them out. And he pursues one man named Moses to be the deliverer through whom God will work to deliver his people and to bring them into the promised land. So God is pursuing them and he tells them that he will deliver them so that they may come out from the land of Egypt and worship Him." Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, there's this cycle of how God blesses His people and He loves them, but they rebel against Him. He disciplines, they repent, and they come back. Whenever they're in this time of fellowship and blessing of God, there's wonderful things that are happening, and God wants them to be near Him. He pursues His people over and over again. He pursues them through David and through Solomon and through the prophets. He continues to pursue his people, even though they continue to turn away. God knows his people. He loves them. He wants them to be with him. Throughout the Old Testament, we see that. And we see that God knows us. He knows us very personally. In Psalm 139, we read these words, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know me when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you knew it completely, O Lord. You hear me in behind and before, and you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. He goes on and talks about how God created him in his mother's womb. He knows everything about this person. And God knows us, even from our mother's womb. He knows even that we're going to be sinful at times, yet he continues to pursue us. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, God is speaking to the king, Asa. And he says this in verse 9 of 2 Chronicles 16. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. God is looking for those who are fully committed. He's searching. He's looking. And he will strengthen those who have given their heart to him, who are worshiping him. And we see that God is in pursuit of mankind. Some of you are familiar with the book, the musical, and even the movie, Les Miserables, a very famous book made into a famous musical, sometimes into a movie. The story is of a man, Jean Valjean, who, who is a thief. He's arrested, but he's shown grace. He's allowed to go out and to rebuild his life, which he does. And he changes his name. He becomes a respected businessman. But there is an inspector, Inspector Javert, who is bound and determined to catch Valjean and to put him in prison because he is a lawbreaker. And the movie is all about this pursuit of Javert for Jean Valjean. And ultimately, in the end, he catches Valjean and he's ready to arrest him. And Javert looks at him and basically he tells him he's, he's a man who's always obeyed the law. But when he sees the life of this man and how he has changed, he shows him mercy and he shows him grace. Essentially, Zaver taking his own life and releasing Jean Valjean. Well, it's a beautiful story of mercy and grace, and it's much the same with what God has done to us. He hasn't pursued us to put us in prison, but he pursues us so that he can show us grace and mercy and make us his very own. God is pursuing us. He's pursuing people. Though we have sinned and rebelled against Him, God is pursuing a people for Himself. We see this pursuit throughout the New Testament. When Jesus came into the world, this was a a wonderful picture of God coming down to man. He's pursued man throughout history, through His prophets and through different people. But now he comes in person in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ who was completely God and completely man. He comes to earth and walks among mankind in order to pursue them. That's what the incarnation is all about. An almighty, all-powerful God who we saw last time exist as a spirit being chose to take on human flesh to dwell among us that he may pursue us. His name was called, or his name was Jesus, but his title, his title was Emmanuel, which means God with us for the first time in history. God came and dwelled among mankind in a human body, in a physical presence. God has pursued us. Jesus pursued disciples. He pursued people. He spoke to the multitudes. multitudes. He pursued individuals. And he came to save. Luke 19.10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Most of us are familiar with John 3.16, where Jesus says, For God so loved the world, all people, that he gave his only begotten Son, his one and only Son. And that means he gave him to, to give his life. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have Everlasting life, eternal life. He goes on to say, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Jesus didn't come to condemn. We've already done that ourselves through our own sinfulness. But Jesus came not to condemn us, but to save us. Jesus also says in John chapter 12, verse 32, that if the Son of Man is lifted up, He will draw all men, all people to himself. If he is lifted up, number one, if he's lifted up on that cross to where he dies to pay for the sin of mankind, that ultimately he will draw men unto himself. You see, Jesus came to pursue and to seek and to save all that was lost. Jesus gave his life for us, and he sent his Holy Spirit down to the earth to convict us so that we might know the way to God. In John chapter 16, we read these words, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me where are you going. Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, but I will go and send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. In regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. See, Jesus is still pursuing us. Though he came, he died for our sins, he rose again and ascended into heaven, he has sent his Holy Spirit, and God is still pursuing mankind through Jesus, through the gospel, through the Holy Spirit. This is a marvelous understanding of how much God loves us and wants us to be with him. And God calls us to worship him. Now, some, as we have said earlier, may think that this is some type of arrogant thing. But God, God doesn't need us. God doesn't need our worship in order to be fulfilled. God is not on an ego trip. God is not insecure being who, who needs us to fall at his feet in worship. He's not arrogant. It's just who he is. He is God manifested to us. Jesus is God manifested to us in the flesh he comes to us and calls us to worship. Worship, again, is showing the worthiness of God. And God truly is the only one who is worthy of our worship. That which truly is deserving of worship must be worshiped. And God is the really the only one. So God, God does this and he draws us to us because he wants to make us complete. We saw earlier in one of our Episodes that we have been created to worship. And mankind is going to worship something. Every one of you will worship someone or something sometime in your life, even if it is yourself. But God loves us so much. He wants us to draw near to Him. He wants to save us and redeem us, and He wants to know us. Paul understood this and he found in Philippians chapter 3, where Paul says this, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of of the knowledge of Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings because becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, I want to know him. I've come to that point that I understand that God desires a relationship with me and I want to know him. Our God is a marvelous, wonderful God who reaches out his hand he, he desires us to be with Him, and He is restoring us. When Adam and Eve fell and plunged mankind into sin, God has been pursuing us and providing a way to restore everything that has been taken away from us through sin. In Romans chapter 5, Paul there talking about the difference between Adam and what Christ did. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by the breaking of the command as Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. You see, Adam sinned. And plunged us into sin. We became a sinful person. Even though we didn't commit his same sin. But because we have a sin nature. We have sinned. But then verse 15 says. But the gift is not like the trespass. That is God's gift. For if many died by the trespass of one man. How much more did God's grace. And the gift that came by grace. Of the one man Jesus Christ. Overflow to the many. Again the gift of God. Is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? God has provided the way. He has pursued us. He has made a way through Jesus Christ. Though we are sinful and we have sinned against him, he sent Jesus Christ to take care of our sin problem. He is pursuing us. He is pursuing you. And he wants to restore everything that was lost at the fall. And he has done that through Jesus Christ. In chapter 6 of Romans, Paul talks about how we have been placed into Christ through the baptism of you, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And now we have a new life. We are a new person. Second Corinthians 5, he says, we are new creatures in Christ. God is restoring that. In Romans chapter 8, he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the giving of the Holy Spirit. And now it's through the Holy Spirit that we are able to live for Jesus Christ. God is restoring us. He has pursued us and he wants us to be with him. God is relentlessly pursuing mankind and giving us a way to to know Him and to be restored to our original creation, which will ultimately happen in heaven. God loves mankind. There was a poem written a number of years ago in eighteen ninety three by a gentleman by the name of Francis Thompson, and it's called "The Hound of Heaven." It's written in poetry form. Uh, it's written in Older English. Some of the words are difficult to understand. and It's a very long poem. But I want to read a portion of it for you because it represents God's attitude. As he understands God's attitude toward mankind. And throughout the poem, he talks about his sinfulness, his rebellion, his turning against God. But then in this part of the last part of the poem, it's as if God is speaking to him. Strange, pietous, futile thing. Wherefore should any set thee love apart? Seeing none, but I make much of naught, and human love needs human meriting, how hast thou merited? Of all man's clothes clay the dingiest clot? Alack, thou knowest not. How little worthy of any love thou art. Whom wilt thou find to love ignoble thee? Save me, save only me. All which I took from thee, I did, but take not for thy harms, but just as thou might seek it in my arms. All which thy child's mistake, Francis, has lost, I have stored for thee at home. Rise, clasp my hand, and come. I know the wording is a little strange for us these days, but he's basically saying, look at all you've done. Who would love you? Who would love you? We earn human love. We get human love. We love those who love us. But he says, who would love you with all that you've done? You're so unworthy of my love. Who will love you except for me? I am the one, God says. And I reach down to you. And all he says, reach out your hand and clasp mine. It's a beautiful poem if you can understand the old English that this man has run from God. And now God says, I still love you. I still want you. Here's my hand. Reach out and take it. And I will save you. And that comes through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come to him and receive him. First Peter. Peter writing there says. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand. That he may lift you up in the due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Yes we have to come to God and humble ourselves. And say God I don't deserve it. But because of your grace I will accept it. And it says and he will lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him. He truly cares for you. John five twenty four. Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. How do we receive this great gift of God? It's by faith by trusting in Jesus Christ, by believing what he did for you. That's how we reach out and grasp the hand of God that's extended to us. All we do is reach out and grasp it by faith. And when we do, we are placed in the position to be one of God's worshipers, one of those who truly can worship him in spirit and in truth. I hope you know the Lord Jesus Christ today. I hope you have placed your faith and trust in him. I hope you know, if you haven't, that God is pursuing you. He wants you. He loves you. And all you have to do is reach out and take him by the hand. And he will save you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we are so undeserving of your grace and your mercy. But you have extended it toward us and you continue to extend it toward us. You have pursued us to the nth degree, and you're not like the dog who runs out of gas. You continue to pursue us until our last breath, and we thank you for that. For those of us that know you as Savior and have received that gift, we are grateful, and I pray for those who never have done so, who have never reached up and said, Yes, Lord, you are good. I receive the salvation that you have offered, and I pray that those who are listening to this that may have never done so will do so right now and trust you As their Savior, and I pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.